believe in so much relational development. So we're in Ezekiel. Let me, let me uh, answer a few questions. Um, yes, I should not have been playing the keyboard. My doctor did not uh, prove that. But um, I took one for you guys. Uh, now, Linda's one wanting to introduce that song. And um, we've been playing it at home some. And uh, yes, I'm hurting a little bit more than right now than I should be. Uh, it's, all, it's okay as long as I do this. It's when I get all over there some that it kind of hurts. But, uh, but it's hard for me just to do this. Then that's too many years. I don't just think about I don't think about that stuff. Sometimes somebody will ask me, what, what, what are you playing right there? And the answer is, I don't know. I just, these, I just do stuff. And sometimes it sounds right. Sometimes it doesn't. But um, Linda just asked me, can I bring you some ibuprofen? I'm like, please do. That would be great. All right. Um, so I was, uh, I was thinking about this today. Um, I, I, ha I had an event, an event today for pastors here in Colorado Springs, and I've got, I've got some more coming up, where um, uh, Turning Point USA, which is the conference that I just went to in San Diego for pastors, uh, we were doing some um, things around Colorado, and uh, these are for pastors. And so I was, um, I was doing one today here in town, and pastors from around the city came and joined us, and and uh, it was really encouraging, and, and I, was, uh, I was one of the speakers, and Stephanie Luck, many of you have met her. She's come and done uh, stuff here at the church. She's another representative. We spoke. She spoke more on the, uh, the bill side, and then I talked about this, the spiritual concept of a lot of this, and then she was addressing that too. But it was just interesting. I was sitting there thinking to myself, because I've, you know I have been processing this I, I don't enjoy being a representative I'm in the capital. I enjoy it around the city. I enjoy when people call me and say, and this, the, this is actually a real example. When somebody calls and says, hey, the drain near my house in the street is stopped up and our street is flooded. Now, I don't know what to do about that. <laughs> I don't have a clue. I'm like, okay, um, I, I'll give somebody a call. And then I have somebody on my team, and she's one of my aides, and uh, I call her and I say, what do we do about this? She says, I take care of that. And so I'm like, okay, good. That's what we pay you for. Because I don't have a clue. I don't know. Where do I go to, to ask somebody that question? Um, um, don't, I don't need your answers. So, uh, yeah, where were you when I got the phone call? But I actually enjoy that stuff. And I get to engage with people. We've been doing this thing at my house. Um, we've done a handful of these already where we just invite precinct leaders and delegates to our house from my district, not from somebody else's district. We just invite them to the house and Linda cooks dinner and then we, uh, we talk and we talk about what's going on and who's doing what and that kind of thing. Excuse me. <coughs> That's not the good stuff, but it'll do. And, um, and so we, we have everybody that comes to the house and then we sit and talk about What's going on? I ask them questions. What do you want to know? Some people don't know how, like, a bill works. Most people don't know. In fact, I would, I would assume that many of you in here don't know how a bill works from start to finish. I didn't before I went to the house. I had to learn that as I'm presenting bills and things. Um, and then we just talk, and we get to know people, and I really enjoy this kind of stuff, but I haven't been enjoying going to the house and speaking on the floor. I, I engage with it. It doesn't, it does, um, I don't know how to explain it. I, it does engage me. 
that is my wheelhouse. That is my, that's, that's what I do. It's who I am. And so I can do that. But it's so depressing and discouraging and demonic and all that stuff that it's, it, man, it wears on you. So I've really been praying about this. Um, the scripture says, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I don't think I had too many of those days last session. But see, that doesn't change scripture. Scripture still says that. Scripture still says this is the day the Lord has made. He doesn't give a parenthetical statement for Scott that says unless you're going into the capital. And so if this is the day the Lord has made, um, then I better rejoice in this because it's God's day. And I, I just had this epiphany, I guess, a month or so ago. If you would ask me two or three years ago, um, hey, we're going to give you a chance to, to go to the Capitol today and stand in the well and speak about abortion. I would have paid money for that. I would have I given money to go and, and uh, read Scripture and talk about um, how this is killing our kids. And I had, I don't know how many people, 30,000 people vote me into this office so that I could do that. And I get paid to do it. So this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. You, you can say that in any situation, any, in any place in your life, and every single day that is still a true scripture. And I've said this many times before. I have to, I have to make sure I convince my, it di many different times in my life, for some reason it just escaped me this, this last session. But if you, if you quote that scripture enough to yourself, it'll start to get into your spirit and you'll begin to believe it. You know that? Try that sometimes. You wake up and you just think, this is a horrible day. Just, just begin to quote that scripture in your head. Maybe out loud. Out loud helps me. Um, quote it and quote it and quote it and quote it and quote it until all of a sudden you'll begin to feel it change. Why? Because scripture is living. God's word is the only thing on the planet that is a living document. It actually is living. That doesn't mean it changes over time. That's how they try to say constitution is right God is living through the spirit the Holy Spirit the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead will quicken your mortal body well how does he do that primarily through the word of God so it's a living thing so so I've just been processing some of this and thinking about it and and just being thankful that God gives me opportunity so all, all the pastors that I spoke to today now they were the reason they were there is kind of because they're already kind of on the same page, right? So I'm, I'm kind of talking to the choir, but I did just encourage them. People in your, in your church want to know what you think as the pastor. That's the reason you guys are sitting here right now is because you want to hear what I'm saying. Now, that's, that's a little odd to me. Um, I've always found this odd. I've been doing this for over 30 years, and I've always found that odd. Why somebody wants to come hear me say something, but that's case, but mostly it's because what I'm saying is the word of God, right? So I was, I was telling these pastors today, the, the people are, are filling up your buildings and sitting there listening to what? Because they want to know what you have to say. About what? About the real stuff of life. Not, not some abstract mentality of a, of a story in the Bible that we, we tell it in such a way that it's 3,500 years old. The stories in the Bible are for right now today, and they apply to the things in our life today. And that means all of the stuff that we're dealing with today. I, I told him, I said, you know, you, you've got parents of young children in your church that they're sending their kids to school, and they're wondering if they're going to come back 
uh, wanting to be the other sex. The parents are scared of this. They're worried about this. This is, this is agonizing in their mind and should be, by the way. And I said, pastors, they want to know about this. What do you think about that? Don't just skip over it and, and just read some, you know, this is what the, uh, the altar of God looked like. Okay, but how does that apply right now? What does that look like right now? Parents need to know this stuff. People in the church need to know this. And, uh, and I was just thinking about it, coming back to the church this afternoon. These are the things that I've been asking God to let me do for a long time. And then he lets me do it, and I complain about it. I blame it on you guys. I don't know how, but um, yeah, that's it. It's your fault. So, so with that, let's go to Ezekiel. We're to chapter 4. This is one of the cool things about Ezekiel. It's, it's, uh, this really makes Ezekiel different than most of the Old Testament is, is some of the stuff that we're seeing, well, in the New Testament, but some of the stuff we see right here in chapter 4. This is where um, God begins to tell Ezekiel stuff, and he does this all through the book of Ezekiel, right? He, he, this, is, this is the concept for illustrated sermons. Ezekiel is the king of illustrated sermons. Um, the, the only one that was literally in all of the Bible is better is Jesus. And he, because he's, you know, standing on the hill and giving the, the, uh, the, the attitudes and then the parables sitting among. He, the parables always had to do, and I, I've spent some time talking about this, but usually when he gave parables, the surrounding context was connected to that parable too, right? That's an illustrated sermon. Ezekiel's given us that here. So verse 1 is Ezekiel chapter 4. And now, the son of, and now, son of man, take a large clay brick and set it down in front of you. Then draw a map of the city of Jerusalem on it. Now why, let's, let's kind of put some, some of our own thinking foundation so we see this properly. Why do you think God has Ezekiel do this? I actually mentioned it like two weeks ago, or, or maybe it was a Wednesday night recently. I think it was in the, in the message two weeks ago. But why, why is God saying, okay, Ezekiel, do all this stuff? Put a brick on the ground. We're going to do some stuff. Yeah, it's um, it truly is an illustrated mentality. And here's something. I, this is this is a reminder for me. Years ago, this was twenty something years ago. I, I preached a message on um, on uh, Joshua and the Israelites crossing um, the Jordan. Okay, and when they get out into the middle of the Jordan. Uh, they're supposed to take rocks from the, the bottom of the, the riverbed and bring those across to the other side and then build an altar with these rocks from the riverbed. Well, the illustration of that is the fact that for all the time they look and see that altar, they see those rocks, and they know those rocks came out from the middle of the river. It's not like they gathered them along the shore. They came from the middle. It means the way they got them is the water was not there. And that reminds them of this whole thing. Okay, so I did that, and I, I um, illustrated this. Uh, there was, um, we, had, we had a bunch of rock beds around the church, and I went and took rocks about like that, and I, and I got uh, 250 of them, and I wrote Joshua 1-9 on the rocks, okay? And uh, then we realized we didn't have enough. We had to go get 
I got my boys out there writing on them in between services and stuff. But, but um, we passed those out in the service, and everybody took a rock. Okay, uh, that was like um, that was like year 2001, 2002. And uh, when I left that church <coughs> to come here in 2012, uh, one of the guys in the church came up to me and he said, um, I still have my rock, Joshua 1-9 written on there. He said it sits on my bathroom cabinet. And I remember every morning that God, it, God can part waters, he can, and he names all the stuff I said in the sermon. He basically re preaches the whole sermon to me. Now, wha what does that matter? Not just the fact that he remembered it, that was important, but different people learn differently. And we see things, and we understand things, and some people touch things, and they learn. Some people hear things, and they learn. Some people see things. Um, if I write stuff down, uh, I, I very rarely forget it. It's not like photographic memory, but if I write it down, I can visualize that later and see it. Everybody, everybody does things differently like this. We all have this thing. Well, God knows this. He made them all, right? And so he's helping them learn and see and understand. And this is some very difficult stuff he's going to be telling them. He's, he's really going at them a little bit on this. And, uh, and he doesn't want them to misunderstand first. When you have the picture of it, it's, it's more difficult to misunderstand that or misrepresent it later. Because they can say, well, he said this. No, he didn't. When he put that brick down, he said this. When you put that brick down and you're, and you're attaching stuff um, to this. This is one of the reasons that I end every service with before noon tomorrow. I'm, I'm purely just manipulating. You know that, right? I'm just playing with your head. Why? Because guess what happens? Sometimes you're going to look up at the clock on Monday morning and it's going to be uh, noon. And, and me saying before noon tomorrow, it's going to pop in your head. You can't help it. It's just the way your brain works. And so I say this week after week after week. And then sometimes uh, when I first got here, somebody called me about three months after I got here. They called me and said, hey, I just witnessed to somebody. I was like, that's awesome. Tell him about the story. And he told me. And then he said, you don't get it. It's, it's 1 o'clock. I was like, right. Well, I started witnessing to him at noon on Monday. I was like, oh, okay. I get where you're going with that. Because it, it clicked in his head. He thought about it. He processed. Well, God does that stuff with us constantly. He's constantly giving us opportunities and reminders and uh, things that we see in our life that we get the opportunity to do. That's, that's one of the reasons that, that we um, sing songs. And, and we sing songs over and over kind of thing, right? Is, and, and by the way, we're not near as, as bad as back in the day when they sang hymns. They would sing like three or four hymns for years uh, in some settings because... You would remember them. Uh, we, somebody was asking me about this just a, a few days ago. And uh, I was telling them, yeah, we had these hymnals. We'd open it up. And I said, and, and we were talking about, well, actually, it was because we were inter interviewing a worship pastor. And, and uh, they, I said, we had hymns. And we'd open it up. And, and somebody would say, read, you know, sing page 256. That's how you did it back in the day. You didn't have, like, worship service and screens and all this. Everybody got and the worship leader would get up at the beginning. We, we, worship leader is a stretch. But the guy that would lead it, oftentimes, this is the way I grew up. Maybe you're different. But the pastor would say, okay, we're going to have song service tonight. Um, Al, would you like to lead song service? And Al would say, sure. And then Al would walk up. 
And he would say, who wants to, what song are we going to sing? And somebody would say, page 256. And everybody would turn to page 256, and we'd sing that song. I did that all my life. I can tell you, well, 256 is all I want to see him. I know that. I can tell you many songs according to the page number and all the details because we did that. That's on purpose. That's, that's intentional because those are ways that we learn, and that stuff comes back to us later. That's why it's important that the songs be theologically sound. That's, that's of huge importance to me. I don't, you know, I like cool sounding songs. I like good music, but it better be theologically sound or I'm not interested. Because you're going to sing it later, right? Row, row, row your boat has no spiritual significance. This is also, by the way, be careful what you, what you listen to because you will sing that. I've thought about this for years. Christians sing their anthems. They sing what they believe. Am I bothering you a little bit when I'm saying this? We sing what we believe. So when we're singing, I don't even know the song. I've heard it once. Some lady singing, I'm trailer trash, and I live down, I don't know. In, I don't know. I just know that line, I'm trailer trash. And th- is that what you want to sing? Is that, is that your anthem? Is that what you want to go around? I, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I think it's a dumb song, but I'm not making a judgment whether you should listen. I'm saying you listen enough and you'll be singing that. That's what you'll be singing um, when you're driving down the road. Wouldn't you rather be singing something to God or about God or something like that? When, when you look over and Jesus is sitting in the seat beside you and you're singing, I'm trailer trash? All right, so I know I'm picking, but either way. All right, he says, draw a map of the city of Jerusalem on it. Show the city under the siege. Build a wall around it so no one can escape. Set up the enemy camp and surround the city with siege ramps and battering ramps. Now, I've read some commentaries and stuff that say that, um, that um, Ezekiel was just um, describing this stuff or that maybe God was showing him a vision of this. I, that's not what I'm reading here. I, I'm reading that that Ezekiel is actually building a little fort on the ground for these people so they can see this. I, I, we got to take Scripture a little first, literally first. He says, then draw a map of the city of Jerusalem. So on this brick, he draws Jerusalem. This isn't like he's describing. He said, now, I, uh, pretend like there's Jerusalem on that brick. He draws it. Then he, then he uses Tonka toys or something, and he's building all the rest of this stuff so that they can see all of this stuff. Right? Then take an iron griddle or, a, or an iron um, pan would be another way to say that. An iron griddle and place it between you and the city. Turn toward the city. This is, this is scripture. There's three or four times in Psalms that it says the Lord turns his face toward them because he is angry to the, about this. Whatever the issue is, he turns his face toward them. So Ezekiel is representing this and he puts the, the piece of iron there and basically he's showing between, between the people, the city, and God is an iron separation. You're not getting through this. It's, a, it's impenetrable. You can't do anything about this. Turn toward the city and demonstrate how harsh the siege will be against Jerusalem. This will be a warning to the people of Israel. Now lie on your left side. So, so here's the question. Maybe this is not important to you. Maybe it is. But for me, if it says God told Ezekiel to lay on his left side, I don't believe that's imagery 
I believe Ezekiel laid down on his left side. So they could see this and they would remember it. But one of the reasons why some commentaries say he didn't do that is because it said, well, he did it for 390 days. He couldn't do that. Well, apparently he did. I mean, that's, that's what I'm seeing here. Now lay on your left side and place the sins of Israel on yourself. You are to bear the sins for the number of days you lie there on your side. I am requiring you to bear Israel's sins for 390 days. One day for each year of their sin. After that, turn over and lie on your right side. You know that day was a good day for him, right? Turn over and lie on your right side for 40 days. One day for each year of Judah's sins. Again, I don't think this stuff is, is uh, like a metaphor for something. I don't think that, that Ezekiel is just describing something. I think Ezekiel is doing what God said. And this is what made it so impactful. Okay. Um, you know this uh, one day for each one day for each year of their sins. One day for each. It says it twice. Um, where is where is somewhere else that they had to spend uh, for each day they had to spend a year. There's there's other places in scripture that use this same exact formula. A day for a year or a year for a day. For this one. He lays down for 390 days for the 390 years they were sinned. There's another place in Scripture where they had to do something for a certain amount of years because of the amount of days of something. Anybody remember? Think, pop in your head. That's one of them. Yes, it is. 40 years in the desert. That's one. In fact, the 40 years in the desert, where does the 40, where does the 40 days play out? Although that's, that would be good, but that's, they didn't do that for 40 days. Um, yes, these are all examples. Um, going back to the, the, yes, these are all things I'm asking, but going back to the um, 40, uh, 40 years in the wilderness, the spies were in the land for 40 days. They came out, and God said, you're going to spend 40 years in wilderness because of that. They came out with, with we can't do this. Spent 40 days to find out they can't do this. It's interesting that Jesus fasts for 40 days to prove that you can do this. There's so much of this in Scripture that just, when you, this is something, if you just want to have fun, I mean, this is my idea of fun, probably not everybody else's, but uh, take a number and look for that number everywhere in Scripture and then write a little description about w what it's about. And you'd be surprised at all the connections and similarities all the, like all the number three. Three is actually one of the biggest in Scripture. Every time three is mentioned, write down all the little story about it and then, and then go back and look at all this stuff after you've spent a month doing that. And then uh, you'll be amazed at how the threes all line up together in, in the definition of them, what they're doing and what that's happening. Um, that's why when people say, well, seven is the number of what? What's that? Um, uh, seven is the number of Perfection, eight is the number of completion. Right? Okay. All right. Now, um, meanwhile, keep staring at the siege of Jerusalem. Lay there with your arm bared and prophesy her destruction. And there's so why? Why would his arm be bare? Any ideas? This stuff was pretty 
known for them at the time. We have to really stretch ourselves to think culturally at the time because we don't have the same cultural context for some of this. What does he mean, lay your arm bare uh, and prophesy for destruction? Any ideas? Yes. What did you say? Good job with the microphone. Um, Yeah, they wore robes. The sleeves of the robes hung low. They had prayer tassels and stuff on the the, uh, arms. They had prayer tassels on the the, uh, neck. They would wear on their head. They would have the, the scriptures on their, the scripture bands on the head, all this stuff. So when it says that they would uh, pull the sleeve up, I'm adding to that, but pull the sleeve up and lay their arm bare, it's so that that arm is ready for to do the work of the destruction. The arm is not going to be in, hindered by the, the robe or the sleeve. It's more of a, okay, so it's the same concept as back in the day, there's two, there's nowadays and back in the day. Back in the day, when somebody would, the cowboy would go out to fight, he would like roll up his sleeves, right? That's the same concept. He doesn't want his sleeves conflicting with the fight. Nowadays, when you see street fights, what's the first thing that somebody, that somebody like, I don't know, I've never seen a street fight, but you online and stuff, what's the first thing that one of the people, the people that are going to fight do? They take their, <laughs> <laughs> that could be true, yes. They should, they don't always. The first thing they do is take their shirt off because uh, when you're in fighting, a shirt will get you you'll lose that fight if you've got a shirt and he doesn't, if you're wearing a shirt. Um, your chances of losing go way up because they can use it against you, your shirt. Right. I feel like some of you are just looking at me like, is he telling the truth there? I, uh, I'll tell you this. I don't, I don't think I've ever really... <laughs> I, uh, I'll tell you this. I, I don't think I don't think I've really mentioned this much over the years, but um, so when I was growing up, uh, we lived in a little city outside of El Paso for about five years, maybe a little bit more, six years. And um, this was this city was where all they they would run all the drugs through coming out of. Mexico. Juarez is over by El Paso, but that was monitored. Nowadays, it doesn't matter. They just run it right across the border. But back in those days, they would come walk across the Rio Grande, right where we lived, and uh, come through the city. And so there was a lot of gang activity, a lot of uh, drug stuff. Um, the um, the um, trying to think the name of the group, the gang. It's uh, this is one of the biggest gangs in the world. Yes, Mota or MS-13. I didn't know what that was for years, but I saw it everywhere. It was graffiti everywhere. I th- actually thought uh, MS-13 or Mota-13 meant marijuana. I, I don't know why. One day I realized, no, that's a gang. So, um, But they that, that was the area for that. That was all this kind of stuff. So, um, so there was constantly, I was involved constantly in fights because I was not Hispanic, and everybody else was. And, uh, in fact, I've even mentioned this before, that uh, when, when uh, people talk about racism, I know what racism feels like. I know what it looks like. I was attacked many, 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 many times, more times than I can count, 
just because my skin color wasn't the same as everybody else's. And I didn't speak um, the language. I mean, I, I learned to speak it fairly quickly, but uh, that was the thing. So when, when, when I hear people nowadays that'll talk about this, it doesn't matter what people group or they talk about racism, I'll ask them some questions. How, how many times have you been um, beat up for that, for, for your skin color? Well, never. Uh-huh. Uh, how many times have you been chased, tackled, drugged down, drugged through a field? All this stuff. I could go on all day long. And they'll always say, well, never, but there's racism. And I had a guy say this one time. I tell this big story about this. And I said, have you ever had that stuff happen? He said, I went into a restaurant one time, and they wouldn't seat me. They sat somebody else because of my skin color. I'm like, you're right. That's the same thing. This, this is goofiness that we talk about racism today. So, actually, that's reverse racism. You can only be a true racist if you're white. Yeah, there's no such thing as reverse racism. Racism is racism. I, I get the defin it. Yeah, I know what you're saying. The definition of racism is not limited to a skin color. It's, it's one color to another. Just insert any color. That's the definition of racism. It doesn't matter. The colors. Um, it just matters the hatred toward the colors. Okay? Um, so, he, so he says, lie there with your arm bared, prophesy for her destruction. I will tie you up with ropes so you won't be able to turn from side to side until the days of your siege have been completed. Now go and get some wheat, barley, beans, lentils, millet, emmer wheat, and mix them together in a storage jar. I didn't understand this part because I don't spend a lot of time eating millet and emmer wheat. And um, uh, lentils sometimes, but I didn't understand this. Why is he telling him this? That kind of stuff, I can't let that go. i got to figure this out. Why, why are these... Things mixed together. Use them to make bread for yourself. During the 390 days, you'll be lying on your side. Ration this out to yourself, eight ounces of food for each day, and eat it at set times. Why do you think that list? Does anything pop? Maybe some of you work with these ingredients and stuff. Is anything pop to you with, with these ingredients? Why these ingredients? What's that? Uh, that's actually part of the, the, the concept of this. I mean, that's not directly what it's about, but that's part of it. I didn't look that part up, but that's good too. I like that also. So in most countries around the world, not America, not Western countries, but in most third world countries around the world, there is always uh, two kinds of foods. There's the commoner food and there's the rich people food, okay? When I look this up, this stuff is considered the uh, everyday common food. So if you go to um, some countries, beans would be the staple, right? Th this is one of the things for, our, for Lynn and I. Um, I love, one of my favorite things is just a big pot of beans. I love beans. Give me some onions, maybe some tortillas or cornbread, fried potatoes, just anything you throw at it is going to be amazing. I just love beans. Uh, Linda has cooked beans maybe until the last year or two because I've complained a bunch. She's cooked it a couple times. But until then, maybe once or twice in 25 years because... Her family was very poor growing up. Our dad was a pastor of a small church. It, it grew eventually, but small church, and they ate beans all the time. 
because that's all they could afford. And she doesn't like beans. But me, beans and rice, wow, how good is that? Right? That's good stuff. But she, she just didn't cook it for years because she just didn't. Like, and there's a couple other things, too, that, that was like that for her. Um, th- this is commoner food here. I, didn't, I don't understand that. I didn't know that. But in this concept, it was, it was commoner. I do like the whole protein completeness thing because God's usually pretty smart about that stuff, too. Right? He usually takes care of all aspects of the, the, the subject. So ration this out. Then verse 11, then measure out a jar of water for each day and drink it at set times. Prepare and eat this food as you would barley cakes. While all the people are watching, bake it over a fire using dried human dung as fuel and then eat the bread. Why? Why human dung? <laughs> so he... <laughs> Okay, so let, let me explain the laying on your side because I, don't, I didn't go into enough detail. He would lay on his side during what would be considered the day hours, and then he would be free from that during the night hours. That's the same way they would do a fast. That's the same way they would do anything. So he's laying half the day, okay, for 390 days. He's not laying the whole day. He's actually cooking this stuff and everything during the rest of the time, which is the nighttime, which starts at what time? Six o'clock goes till six in the morning. That's Jewish day. We say that our day ends at midnight. Theirs is six, 6 to 6 kind of thinking. So he's laying down in the middle of the day, and he's doing this. But why specific? And it's not, I don't, okay, so he's not like, he's not like reaching back there and grabbing his own and doing this. That's not what that is. Adonomy, um, that's what you're saying. <laughs> no. No, that's not it. Um, Al, you got a better one. That was a horrible answer by I her. I hope so. it's a little better than that. <laughs> Because what comes out of man at the end of things is there is absolutely no value left in it. The body has taken everything out that it needs, and there's yes. nothing left. That, that's part of it. That sets up. There's actually a biblical reason, but that is the reason that, that sets up the, the biblical understanding of it. You guys know this stuff. As soon as I say it, you're going to know it again. Um, if, if he cooks this with human dung, the, the food will be considered unclean and he will be considered unclean. And he'll have to go through the purification rites. Right? In fact, he addresses it. Verse 13. Then the Lord said, this is how Israel will eat defiled bread. Defiled bread because why? Because of the human dung, not because of the mixture of it. Everything was good up until he starts uh, using um, the the wrong who. This is how Israel will eat defiled bread in the Gentile lands to which I will banish them. Then I said, O sovereign Lord, must I be defiled? Ezekiel hasn't done anything wrong. Now, now this is interesting because when he, t- when he lays down on his side, he takes the sins of the people upon him. And now he's going to be defiled when he's innocent. Are we seeing any parallels here? Right? And by the way, this is constantly through the Old Testament. I, I, I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but we were sitting at dinner a couple weeks ago, and Linda was out of town for something, but it was me and, and um, Isaac and Amanda, my son and my daughter-in-law, and we were 
just talking about some of the stuff to do with Scripture and some of the things in Ezekiel and some of the stuff coming up, and, and um, we're just kind of sitting talking about it, and my son goes, he's extremely, extremely black and white, very conservative, everything, that's just the way it is, right? There's, there's not a lot of wiggle room with him on anything. And um, I'm, like a, I'm like almost like a flaming liberal compared to him, Okay. And, uh, and he's sitting there, and he said, and he, and he gets, he just gets into it so emotionally, so quickly. He's like, I just don't understand why the people, talking about the church in America, why the church just can't see Scripture and just obey it. Just do what the Bible says. How difficult is that? And I said, I understand, Isaac. I said, let me ask you a question. How, how good do you do with that? I'm not talking about me. <laughs> I'm like, okay, all right. I see where you're at with that. You know, Jesus does so much for us, and he takes so much for us. And, yeah, it's all through the Scripture, and the, Israel, and the Jewish people to this day can't see it. Although there, are, there, is a, there really is a good move of God among the Jewish people around the world um, and in Israel, although Israel is. So have you been listening to any of the stuff on the news that's talking about how um, uh, Israel is, the people of Israel and the leadership of Israel are kind of persecuting the Christians right now. Have you been seeing some of that? They've been banning them from certain events and stuff, and they've been uh, not letting them, um, you know, preach in, in certain ways and stuff, really kind of stopping them, which is not normal for Israel because Israel is very open to all faiths, almost to a fault, right? But uh, they've been kind of persecuting the Christians lately. The reason is because uh, a lot of Jewish people are getting saved in Israel right now, and it's causing them um, con concern, right? Uh, this, is, this is kind of the thing is, how can you be an, a Jewish person and not see Jesus in Scripture? We, we did actually get to that uh, eventually, my son and I, and talking about this is, Jesus is everywhere. Jesus is in Scripture. Jesus is in, in so much of societies around the world, and people still can't see it. The, this is part of what he's doing here is he's making this be seen. Um, so he says, Must I be defiled by using human dung? For I have never been defiled before. From the time I was a child until now, I have never eaten any animal that died of sickness or was killed by other animals. I have never eaten any meat forbidden by law. Remember uh, two weeks ago when I was talking about the rapture, I, I, I read the scripture out of Colossians that says, don't, don't hold this against people. When they don't do all the Jewish feasts and they don't understand all this stuff, he wasn't talking to the Jewish people at the time. I think he was looking through, throughout time and realizing that a lot of the church around the world today is not going to see this stuff and understand it because we're a largely Gentile church. And so he was saying they're not, gonna, they're not always going to celebrate this stuff. You should. You need to. But don't pick on people when they, when they don't celebrate. Don't pick on people when they don't understand the, uh, the freedom in the diet and stuff like that. There's a bunch of this stuff. Because why? Because they're, they're, they're getting the law upside down in, in ruling of, over their lives instead of understanding who Jesus is. And at the same time, he's saying, but you need to know these laws. You need to know these feasts. You need to know this kind of stuff. Okay, so he said, all right, the Lord, said the Lord, you may bake your bread with cow dung instead of human dung. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. 
that I get to use cow poo. Oh, I've been so freed by that. <clears throat> then he told me, Son of man, I will make food very scarce in Jerusalem. It will be weighed out with great care and eaten fearfully. The water will be rationed out drop by drop, and the people will drink it with dismay. Lacking food and water, people will look at one another in terror, and they will waste away under their punishment. What would that look like right now in America? Sure. I was... <clears throat> what? I hear words? Yes, it's a t that is a great example. People lose their minds and all of a sudden are fighting in the grocery aisles over toilet paper. When there really is no reason. But our government can get us so scared, and, and by government I mean a lot of, that includes agencies and stuff, but our government can get us so scared. Guys, Fauci's popped up again. I thought he had, I thought he had been banished to Mordor or something. I don't know, but he should have been. <laughs> I, I, I hope so. I, I just... All of a sudden now he's saying, now he's saying, we'll, we won't mandate masks, Ameri not we, because he's not in charge of anything. But he said, America's probably not going to mandate masks anymore, but it's still a really good idea. Although he's the one who said it wasn't. It didn't do anything. But what happens is, this is, so this is, this is straight out of, out of um, uh, rules for radicals and Marxism. Get people confused, get in a fight with each other, keep them scared. Make sure there's a big issue that they need to all be scared about, and you can control a people. And here we go again. Now, I, I, I pray so much, and these are some of the things where I'm getting to talk to pastors and stuff. I'm, I'm telling them this stuff. Don't close down. Don't close down. You know, don't let somebody judge you about the last time. If you close, okay, whatever. Let's move on from the last time. But, don't close down the next time. Don't do this. Lead your people. Don't, don't sacrifice your people to the government. Don't, don't do that. I, I couldn't believe when, um, when the pandemic started last time and they had a big meeting with pastors. There was like 600 pastors or something that met. It was on a Zoom call. I was on the Zoom call. And uh, they're all talking. They're all listening to Governor Polis um, uh, grant all of us uh, lower beings the ability to serve His Majesty. And and I I remember a pastor of a mega church in Denver, very large, large church. And he said, I, I just want to say something, Governor Polis. We thank you so much for allowing us to eventually open back up. We are indebted to you. And I'm, yeah. And I'm like, you wimp. <laughs> I, see, I don't believe that's just being a wimp. I believe there's a spiritual thing there. He bowed his knee to the spiritual leadership. Guys, that's a spiritual thing going on. That's not a, uh, that's, that's the same thing. In my mind, that's the same thing as when President Obama bowed to the um, rulers of countries. Bow to the king of Saudi Arabia. If, if anything, 
these, these kingdoms across the world that we send billions of dollars to should bow to our leaders. This is craziness that we do around the world. That's a whole different subject, but this, this idea that, oh, thank you, great polis. And I just, I didn't say, I, did, I actually hung up after a while. I couldn't stand it anymore. But because I, if, if I was given the chance to talk, it wouldn't have been, yeah, it wouldn't have been thank you, polis. It wouldn't have been at all. I cannot believe that pastors were saying that. Churches are in the Constitution. Polis is not. And that type of government authority, that type of governor uh, authority is not in the Constitution. In fact, it's specifically spoke against in the Constitution. And they were bowing down spiritually, um, genuflecting to the governor. Because this is exactly the stuff that, that we see in the Scripture. This is, this, is, this is when we're supposed to be bowing our knee to God, bowing our knee to the king. Why? Because God is the one that is our king. He is the one that's in charge. He is the ruler. I had somebody ask me recently, well, if they close down, if they try to close it down again, obviously we're not going to close down. We never closed down the first time, but we're not going to close down, right? Well, what if they take you to jail? Well, okay. They take me to jail. I've, I've preached in jails before. I know how to do that. I had bars between me and the people I was preaching to, but, you know, it'll be different. But, I, I, you know, this is the thing is this, is this stuff happens all the time, normally, all the time around the rest of the world. And we're scared to death to break a nail for Jesus Christ. I just, I, I, I just think there's going to come a time, if we're not careful, that we're going to have this kind of mentality full-blown. I think, I think we saw glimpses of it in the pandemic, p- pandemic mentality, the, the, this fake thing that the world did under the, the leadership of America. Um, I think we saw pieces and parts of this, but I think we're going to see this full-blown, um, or at least the attempt at that next time around. But here's the thing. If the church will just stand, if the church will just stand. I was, when I was at this TPUSA faith conference this last week, they were showing all these statistics about stuff and how small the percentage of Christians actually vote every time in an election. It goes up a little bit for presidential, but most other elections are very, very low, very low. Um, And I know that even in my own election, and I think I probably had a bigger percentage of Christians that voted than, than, uh, for me, than a lot of the other districts because because of where my district is and how conservative it is and things. But but it's amazing. Um, It's less than 20% of Christians usually vote. Now think about this. Um, up here, uh, think about this. If Christians would just double the amount of people, we wouldn't even be to 50% yet, but we'd win any election we wanted to. Any. So in pre-World War II Germany, Bonhoeffer was the only one that stood up against the Nazis. And um, that basically the lesson to us of that is that we all need to be Bonhoeffers. We all need to stand against it. He was the only voice, and it wasn't enough. Yeah. And eventually cost him his life. Yeah, he was hung for it. Um, there was actually two other guys that stood up to in, in, in Bonhoeff. In the uh, biography that uh, Metaxas does, he explains that. But they didn't stand up the way Bonhoeffer did. 
But there was two other guys that, that I'm dead, and they were both killed too, by the way. Uh, but, you know, Bonhoeffer even went to the point of, you remember the movie Valkyrie that came out, and it was talking about General Valkyrie that was going to, that put a, a team of people together to assassinate Hitler. And, uh, and he brought, yeah, it was a Tom Cruise movie, he brought a bomb in a briefcase, he brought it in and set it under the table in their discussions in, in, uh, in this um, bunker area. And, and it was literally under the table, Hitler is standing right here, but there's the, the leg of the table was a big slab of wood about uh, three inches wide, and Hitler lived. The bomb went off three inches from him, but because of that slab of wood, he lived. I don't think the slab of wood is why he lived. Why do you think he lived? Satan has power too, okay? Um, but that whole thing, the Valkyrie assassination attempt on Hitler, Bonhoeffer was part of that. He helped plan it and, and was will, will, volunteered to go and try to, to infiltrate and, and take the bomb himself, but he wouldn't have been able, they would have caught him. Um, and so they got one of the generals to do it. Bonhoeffer was part of that. That'll mess with your theology a little bit. Do you understand what I'm saying? At what point, as Christians, is it okay to assassinate? Well, here's the thing. Well, that's Hitler. It's easy for us, um, what, 60, 80 years later to look at this and say, oh, yeah, because it was Hitler. He, he, that was a, he did a good thing. Really? I don't, I don't know. I'm saying at the time, if somebody would, if I'm alive and somebody says, hey, help me assassinate Hitler, I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to do that. Are we supposed to do that as Christians? I mean, there's stuff like that. But, but when you look in the Old Testament, there's plenty of places where it, you could have done that. It would've, you would have been part of the right storyline. I mean, I, I don't, there's things I just don't understand. That's why, that's why anytime somebody asks me a question, my answer is, you got to go to the Word for the answer because you can, how do you know for sure you're making the right decision unless you're making it from the Word of God, right? And, and by the way, there's everybody, I, I would say if we took a poll around this room, we'd be on different places, all different kinds of places with this concept, right? Um. That's where we have to be careful that I do believe, you know, I get called a Christian nationalist a lot, um, newspapers, TV, that kind of stuff. And, uh, and I see it as a um, positive statement. I am a Christian nationalist. I, I am a Christian nationalist. What, what, what's the opposite of a Christian nationalist? A, a, a Satanist anarchist? What do you want me to be? I'm a Christian and I believe in my country. I believe God started this country. And I'm a Christian, so I'm a Christian nationalist. But if we, if we get that reversed and I'm a nationalist more than I'm a Christian, that's when it becomes a problem. That's when it gets upside down and we start, we start um, almost worshiping the uh, political side of things. In fact, I'm going to say some things Sunday in the message that are, uh, I'm going to pick on us a little bit, some pretty strong stuff about this mentality, uh, what this means. I won't say now because um, that's a teaser, right? Um, so what happens when everything starts crashing down around us? If it does, and 
I, I mean, it depends. I've preached on both sides of this, you know, God doing big things and the whole world collapsing. I mean, there's, and I believe both of those can happen simultaneously. Um, and so I'm not trying to leave us with a bunch of negative, um, but to really process what happens if everything does start crashing down around the stock market, uh, economy, um, government, all, you know, starts putting us in jail, almost like, like January 6th. What happens? What, what do we do? I know we've talked about this to a great extent on actually pragmatic things, but I'm saying big picture. What do we do? Keep living. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Scripture says, occupy until he comes. Guys, there's places all over the world that have it way worse than us every single day, and they serve Jesus. We can serve Jesus. Rick? You know, we've got everything over the world, but we have the examples in the Bible. What did they do? They kept doing it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, anything. We're going to – I have, I have promised um, – our staff that I'm going to do better about getting out on time. And so um, they get all picky. I don't, who's in charge here? I am. I don't know where they think they are, but either way. So uh, anything, anything before we pray? Any comments, processing? I would like to encourage you to read chapter 5 before next week. Have a knowledge of it because it gets a little heavy these, these next few Things we're going to look at get a little heavy. Yes, ma'am. Our church in Omaha, we had a pastor that we, to this day, um, remember the lessons he taught. But one of the lessons he taught us was this, about the song and the verse, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that w is within me. Bless his holy name. We are, when we say that, we are commanding our soul to bless the Lord. It's not a suggestion. We're commanding, and it's very much the same thought of if everything falls apart and people are fighting over food and there's, there's violence in the streets and everything, it becomes, I describe it as um, Gotham City. If it becomes Gotham City and we're still here, that's the day we really, really need to say, this is a day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it because for some reason we're here now. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's solid. That's profound. All right, so how are we going to pray? Stand I think that's good. Stand strong. You know, um, different people have ups and downs. Some, some of you right now, you may be living your best life. Um, you may have come out of tragedy, living your best life. You may be, but, but every Christian is going to... Um, go through some deep suffering at different times. That's part of being a human on this planet. But if we stand strong, we stand, not just stand strong, we need to define that. Standing strong is standing on God's word. Standing on what God says. That, that's how we pray, God, bring your word to my remembrance. Help me to stand and pray God's word. I think that's pretty powerful too. Were you going to say something else? Yeah. Yeah. I was actually putting some notes together about that. What is the difference between faith 
and being naive. Think about that for a little bit. It's messed with my head. So, so standing strong, standing on his word, trusting in God, leaning on, on um, the people around you that God has put around you, that's huge. God puts you in community for a reason. Use, use the community that he has given you. That's vital. Um, I was thinking about this today, driving back to the church. Uh, when, when I broke my collarbone, um, some of you sent me, like, gifts and cards. Um, I, got, I got a cheesecake. If you were in first service, you know what I'm talking about. I got a cheesecake. I, th- I think to myself, nobody had to do that. If I would have known this, I would have broke this years ago. <laughs> I, I mean, th- this is what community is, isn't it? Is, is connecting with people. When somebody's hurting, you help them out a little bit. Why? Because when you're hurting, they'll help you out a little bit. Yes. And you treat each other as if you were yourself. As if you love your neighbor. You don't just you love your neighbor, but you more than you love yourself. And you love them almost to the last drop. Yeah. Because because they really very much are a part of you. And you have to be willing to have that to accept each and every one that way. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think a, one of the ways to look at the body of Christ is that we're the immune system for each other. When somebody's going through something difficult, we go fight that difficult with them. We're the, we're the white blood cells, right? Or whatever color the blood cells you want them to be. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Say that again. Yeah, I think that's, man, we got to be doing that all the time. If you're older and everything starts to crash, it's different than when you're younger and everything starts to crash. I, I, I feel so much for young families with young kids right now, and in a way I haven't over the years. It just moves my, I think maybe because my grandkids, I know that's contributing to this, but yeah. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for you. We thank you for your amazingness your grace, your mercy in our life. Lord, we do not deserve the things that you've given us, but you continue to give us. Lord, even just being born in this country, coming to this country, living in this country, God, you have blessed us in so many different ways, way beyond, I think, than we even understand. We take it for granted. God, we thank you. We thank you for for such a, a long heritage of peace and freedoms and things like that. But God, I, I see that these things are changing. Lord, we are turning against you, just like in Ezekiel, we're turning against you. And God, we ask you to forgive us. Forgive us, Lord God, and, and help us to see you through everything. Even if things do get difficult, help us to see you. Lord, I pray that all into the, to the children's church and to the to the young kids, to the, to the babies, Lord, as they're growing up. 
God, we want them to grow up looking at you. Even if it's difficult looking at you, even if it's, if it's not the country I grew up in, they can still see you and they can keep their eyes on, on you and it will keep them from tripping up. So Lord, help us to see these scriptures, to see these stories and to, to internalize them. God, we can take the stand we're supposed to take for you. Even if it means difficulty, Lord, we're going to do that. Lord, we want to be just like Ezekiel. If you tell us to do something, we're going to do it, even if it, even if it doesn't make sense to us at that moment. God, we're going to follow you. We're going to listen to you. And, Lord, I just, I just plead your blood over, over our church, over our city, over our schools, over our kids. I plead your blood, Lord Jesus. that you take care of our kids in Jesus' name. And God, I believe that you've empowered us as the adults and the parents to be the, the ones that are fighting this fight for our kids. God, help us to have wisdom and discernment and to see what we need to do. And God, we pray that we will turn, turn our city, at least our city, to get this thing going in Colorado. We will turn our city to you. Lord, I know that it is possible. I've seen it. Lord, we want to turn our city. Just like Nineveh, everybody repented and turned to you. Lord, we can see that right here. God, I, I pray that just even over us at Church of Bargate. Help us all to just repent and turn to you in all situations. We thank you for this. Thank you for the opportunity. We give you the glory, Lord God. This is... This is your planet. This is your city. This is your state. This is your church. God, we commit it to you in Jesus' name. And we are yours. And we thank you for your glory. Amen. All right. You don't have to go home. But you've got to get out of here. <laughs>